Welcome to Look Mom, No Hands. We have an amazing show today, exploring those scary choices life presents through the lived experience of our guests. Many of you will recognise that incessant whisper in your ear, tugging you to change your life, squaring up for the big jump. Whether it's career, life, family or love, there's that saying, if you're unwilling to be a foolish beginner, you will never improve. Or as I say, a life lived in fear is only half a life. Hello, we'd like to welcome to the show today, Ilana Gambril. Yes, <laughs> correct. You were, you were, you were so well rehearsed on that. So. <laughs> so if I add a bit of pizzazz to it, it will uh, carry. <laughs> it carried well. <laughs> Thank you. And obviously Daniel's here with me and it's me, Sarah. So... Oh. Yeah. We don't need you today, Sarah. No, no, no. no. I am just going to go and do my producer this is, stuff. This, this is going to be the chosen people today. Yes, oh. we are the chosen people. And, and, uh, you can just listen in, you know. You might learn something. I'm happy to convert my ways. <laughs> so we have the honour of uh, having Ilana here today, who is professional dancer and creator of Dancebox. Correct. An inclusive dance programme space. Yeah, it's an inclusive space that was created for the everyday person to enable them to come into a, a really safe environment where they're allowed to unleash their inner soul and, and chuck it out onto the floor and feel unjudged by that. And while screaming and dancing and whooping and crying, they're therapized within a whole hour. And in a nutshell, that's kind of what Dancebox is about. Nice. So you spent, you're still working as a professional dancer? No, actually, I left the industry when I decided to open up Dancebox. I believe that if I had my fingers in so many different pies, one other pie would go stale, and I wasn't going to let my little new baby go stale. So I decided to hang my coat up for good uh, at the age of 27. I feel like I had a nice run in the industry. So very young for it. It is quite young, but I started at 18 yeah. uh, professionally. Um, so I got a good 11 years out of it and to be honest with you I loved being on stage and I loved performing it's the biggest bestest buzz I think I'll ever ever experience but behind the scenes it's super toxic mm. and it can feel very consuming and it can also ruin you as a dancer and ruin that love that you have for it so when I was 27 I did a really nice job and I said you know what I'm happy to hang my coat up now and not get ruined completely by the industry mm. and I thought the best way for me to pour love back into this environment is for me to create my own little safety box where it wasn't about professional dancers coming in of course everyone is welcome but it was more about allowing space for the everyday person who 90% of them walk on the streets with their head on the floor and feeling inadequate or unconfident in or in any way shape or form I want to make them remember who they are again mm. so dance box came about because 
I wanted to pour the love of dance back into my life. So semi-selfish, <laughs> but it worked out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And it's been doing really well. Yeah, thank God, touch wood. Um, it's been running for nine years next month. Um, it started off really small in a school hall in Essex once a week. Um, and I basically just had my friends and my mum's friends turning up and they were my clients. Um, and then word started spreading really organically. There was no push, no force. It was just, this is where I'm going to be. If you fancy it, come. And uh, I didn't realise the impact I was going to actually have on these people's lives. I thought it was literally just going to be a dance class for fitness. Like, do that instead of going to the gym. But actually it turned into... Um, predominantly women coming in and being like, holy hell, what happened to my system just then? Right. Stuff was unleashed and unstuck and all of that sort of stuff. And they were changing on a weekly basis. And I thought, I've got to do this more than once a week. Yeah. I've got to open up more classes here. So I did. I went from one to seven days a week. And, you know, every class, thank God, was full and kept getting fuller. Don't get me wrong, there was times where I'd been sitting in the studio thinking, there's no one here. Everyone told me they were coming, there's no one here. And I used to sit there and wait and pray. And there was a lot of times I thought, you know what? <laughs> I've got to close this down. I'm not earning any money. No one's turning up. But it was due to the fact that these were mums and they had lives and they had to, you know, responsibilities. And I guess once they'd really committed and started coming on a weekly basis and they recognised this, recognized the change in their soul in their spirit mm. that's when it went boom yeah and i'm so grateful for we, that we interviewed um, um a couple of guys recently who are behind musical productions one mm -hmm. writes the words one does the the, the, the music mm. and they came up with this amazing quote they said if it's too strong for words you have to sing, and if it's too strong for singing, you have to dance. Oh, I love that. And, you know, like, <sighs> this is the ultimate form of expression. I mean, oh. I think what you're saying, you know, is that they're expressing something, they're resolving something, they're, it's something that's deep, but mm. they, there's no other outlet for it. But somehow through dance, yes, it's that incredibly powerful medium is that, is that, is that what head. you're saying absolutely absolutely and i say cry already oh, like, oh, are you crying five minutes <laughs> it could be because i went to see my eye surgeon this morning <laughs> he, he puts drops in my I was, eye oh, but, you know, i was actually, thinking to myself gosh i've already, I've already got you going I love yeah, no i do i do cry easily actually oh. so sorry but i that. think you know i say in all my classes you know, I've gone to therapy, speaking therapy. All my clients have gone to speaking therapy and all of them say, I never feel this way until I come here. You know, you can sit and speak about your issues and, and someone can tell you how to mend them or give you tools to mend them. But when you're physically releasing some sort of energy that is so suppressed and stuck, it is an, the most emotive thing you can ever do. And that is that is the the start of true healing, in my personal opinion. I don't think I'd be here today, uh, going through what I've gone through in life, if dance wasn't a massive part of my life. I honestly always say I don't know where I would be. I honestly don't. 
And I'm about to cry now. You've <laughs> <laughs> actually answered the question we love saving for later. You know, what, 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 what's the other career? Where was, where, where was that moment where you could have become the IT consultant? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? There was a few times where I went to dance school late. I started at 12, but I was like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Mm. When I hit... Um, around 16, 17, I thought, gosh, I don't think I'm good enough to go to a professional dance college. I started diving into like the makeup world and things like that, anything that was creative. And then I soon thought to myself, Alana, what are you doing, bruv? Like, you do not want to do this. Go and audition for dance colleges. You are good enough. Stop telling yourself you're not. Society got in my brain, like it always does for a lot of people. And anyway, I said, Sodja. Frickin' words, and I went and uh, auditioned for dance colleges, and I actually got a scholarship. Amazing. Where did you go? I went to Millennium Dance. Ah, Wait, did you? I'm a dancer by training profession, yeah. I went to Bird, but Uh, I know a few Millennium, but... Okay, it ruined me. It ruined you? Yeah, yeah. Millennium was... I mean, a lot of dance colleges in my day were bad, but... It was so bad. It was so toxic. And mm. I was encouraged to stick my fingers down my throat to get me an ideal dancer's body. I was encouraged to... My director loved me so much, but she said, honey, you're not going to dance with those thighs. You're going to come to Belgium with me and I'm going to suck the fat out of your thighs. And then I said, fuck you. And I left. Wow. Oh, great. Explicit racing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just left. I left in my second year, before yeah. my second year even really begun. And I trained myself up. I went to Pineapple. I travelled to Los Angeles oh. to train up. And I got founded by an agent while I was dancing my tush off in Pineapple. Amazing. So, yeah, thank God I left. Yeah. Again, I don't know where I'd be if I didn't leave. Because yeah. it was killing me. Yeah. No, it, it can be... Everyone has a different experience, and luckily my time at my dance college was, for me, it was great. I wasn't... Thank God. I didn't have all those, oh, you need to look like this, you need to look like that, maybe because I looked over, as they wanted already, but then there weren't many people at all who they forced that on, so it was really they accepted you as who you are. That's so great. And even the industry now in dance, you see different shapes and sizes. Beyonce's got all her dancers. Sam Smith has got like such a range of people, and it's great that yeah, things do change when people refuse to accept Mm. that other people want them to change. Amen. It's just take me as And I thank am. God. And thank, because when I watch music videos or I watch, um, you know, award ceremonies, I'm like, yes, like human beings on stage behind amazing artists dancing and being free says to someone that's sitting at home thinking I can't because hmm. of X, Y, Z, says I can. Yeah. And, you know, not necessarily go out and be a professional dancer. That takes years to, to, to achieve, but... To, to, to just be able to say, I can do anything. Yeah. That's the world I feel like we're starting to live in a bit more. They're accepting a little bit more of the every person, no matter what that looks like. I mean, we record here in a queer bookshop. Yeah. <laughs> with, a, yeah. <laughs> with a podcast. This is studio. a beautiful space, by the way. It, I, just... I get challenged a lot when I walk in, actually. Yeah, they're open for everyone to come in and no matter who you are and just have a place mm. and knowing that people have a place somewhere and yeah. watching the videos on your Instagram that of your clients, so to call them, people that take part in your classes, 
they're amazing. I just sat there going, wow, she's really good. Because your dancers aren't easy for the everyday person. So they're you know challenging what? themselves. Yeah, it's funny because the amount of inquiries I get saying, I've just looked on your uh, Instagram page and all of your clients seem like they've been dancing for years mm. and I want in, but it looks too hard for me. And what they don't realise is these people had never danced before and they might have come to two or three classes before and they look like that because in the room I dissect, I go slow, I make sure you feel comfortable. And there's an essence of when you feel safe, that's where magic happens. If you feel like you're around someone who kind of thinks you're a little bit rubbish at that and a little yeah. bit you know you start to become that yeah. you're a little that's bit rubbish all industries. yeah you're yeah. a little bit small or you're yeah. a little bit this but when you're in a, a space where someone says you are accepted if you fall on the floor you are accepted if you make this move wrong also let's have it right i'm not having you in this room auditioning for janet jackson you're here for your mental health and your physical health yeah and so when you remove all of that something magical takes over and they're like, I did not know I could do that. Whipping their hair the way they do, flinging their arms the way they do, striding across the room and being cheered by a million people. I wish there was a million, but, you know, <laughs> you know, it's it, it gives you something that says, I can do it. Mm. And it's the way I teach, and I don't mean to blow my own trumpet. Where's my trumpet at? I left it at home. <laughs> it's the way I teach. I know how to speak to someone that's never danced before. Right. So you've just kind of got to trust me yeah. And trust yourself and just step into the room mm -hmm. and you'll see what happens. You sound a bit like Michelangelo just removing the surplus oh, yeah. stuff to reveal David behind yes. you know, this incredible dancing figure. Just strip away yes. the inhibitions, yes. strip away the self-doubts, allow it to come the out. The layers of um, labels as well that yeah. we've all been placed on us. If you're a mum, you can't be sexy. If you're this, you can't do that. If you're a doctor or you're in something where it's quite, I don't know, you're supposed mm. to walk a certain way. No, 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 no. Let's get back to the soul. I had a really great friend at university, actually, who went on to become deputy governor of the Bank of England. Ooh. I won't mention his name, but everyone's got to work out who it is from this. <laughs> and he couldn't dance to save his life. But he had this great way of overcoming that. He would say, I have invented ugly dancing. <laughs> and Genius. He would, he would step out and do the most awful dance but it's because he was trying to be ugly it, it was brilliant if you see what i mean yes it's, it's and it just gave him this great cover story because most people sort of step out thinking, oh I'm, as you say they're, they're sort of nervous and they think everyone's watching no one is of course no they, one, they think they are yeah and no one cares even if they were watching um but yeah they people think it's a form of expression and i think answer me this i think we were talking about performance you know so many people are nervous about performance mm. where eyes are upon them public speaking and you know all those sorts of mm. things uh, I think um, is that is that part of the inhibition that they're just used to their yeah. quiet little life. Yeah, they have their routines and their habits, and suddenly they're being asked to do something in front of cameras. Yeah, is that, is I mean, you know, I think you know, let's have it right. All of us um, tend to or have trained ourselves to hide behind the lives that we lead and dancing is exposing and what you just said is completely genius he turned it into this ugly form of dancing because it enables him to be as free as he wants to be because yeah. he has to be ugly within it yeah. it's the same thing i always say in my class if you step in and you fear our eyes are on you 
you're wasting your time because no one cares about you they care about themselves mm -hmm. they're all feeling the same thing so they're all internal they're not caring and if they do look at you gosh knows they are clapping and cheering even if you fall on the floor because that's what dance box is about yeah it's a it, safe space in our introduction um, somewhere it says if you're not prepared to be a foolish beginner you'll never improve amen you know that's which we say to do you want to come to my class to i feel my, like you should do, do you know a what? chat i do want to take daniel yes. to a dance class. You know, I, I, I skipped a lot of lectures when i was at cambridge and did body isolation Oh, Daniel, <laughs> you are a bit of me. You are, look at this one. He's moving his hands, he's grooving his shoulders. You are a bit of me. See what I'm saying? Anyone can. See, yeah, anyone can. Anyone I, can. You know, I, I was always admired for my dancing, which was a surprise, because I sort of just sort of shuffled onto the dance floor. No one was expecting anything. And then I could really do a, a number. You, you know? know what people... It was actually known as the bar mitzvah shuffle. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know it well. I know it well. <laughs> I can was, see that, you that, doing that was it. kind of the rudest uh, version of what I used to do. But <laughs> it was certainly very energetic. And I, I, I learnt body isolation so I can move the top half or the bottom half of my body independently of the other, each other. Mm. You know, so I can just do a very static thing. You know, with the I top look half. forward to seeing it, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get approval from Mrs. C. <laughs> but I yes, think but yeah. one thing that we have to remember is that I've never seen a human being be booed when they are showing up and showing off. Mm. I've never seen that. I've actually only ever seen it being admired. So if you've got the courage to do it, I promise you, 90% of the time, unless you're around horrible people, I'm not going to ever allow that, but... You, you're always going to be applauded for that because yeah. it's it's what other people want to do. I, I really understand what you're saying about safe spaces because that's a word, a form of words that's used for all sorts of weird things these mm. days, like kids at university that don't want to hear a view mm. that sort of up, unsettles them. But it really makes sense in your world because you're may say it's non-judgmental. Non mm. People are working it out at their own time and their own speed in their own way. Mm. Not everyone has to be on the same page. But they're also anyway. being held, and that's also important when you're trying to when you're being exposed. You want to be, you want to know. Well, because they're vulnerable, you mean. Yeah, they're vulnerable. These are mums as well that might have only given birth, I don't know, for the first time eight, ten months ago, and they're not feeling themselves again, and they've come into this space that's so vulnerable and so exposing, and their hormones are everywhere, yep. and they step in and be, like, before they know it, they do feel like Beyonce, like, and I love that. Mm. With hair and makeup and a glitzy outfit, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> is that actually what happens? It's what happens in their mind, and that's yeah. all I care about. Yeah. Yeah. And how was your mind? Because you said earlier that the empty, the hall was empty. Yeah. You're still paying for it. Yeah. You've got to pick yourself up and go. Well, maybe next class you yeah. can turn up. Yeah. And had you stopped? What was your other income coming in? Nothing. Just nothing. No, I had to, a lot of prayers. Yeah, I just, because I, I really, when I was a professional dancer, I think I, I managed maybe eight jobs at, at the same time, call centre, waitress, mm -hmm. leafleting in the streets. When I chose to do dance box, I was like, this is it, this is it. So I have to put my heart and soul into everything. And, um, I, you know, there'd be times where one person would turn up and that they'd get the exact same class as a class with a thousand people. And it meant the world to me to be able to do that. When there was one human in that room, it meant I could change their vibration for that one hour. And then I knew that good vibrations attract good vibrations. So if I keep doing that, 
And you know, sometimes when no one turned up, I'd go in the studio for an hour on my own and do it for myself. And I'd just pray that the next time there would be. And there were some times where three, four weeks would go on a trot and no one would turn up. And I'd call my mum and be like, Mum, she'd be like, it's all right, darling, you can do it. You can push yourself further. Like, you know, I had support. I had people telling me that it was going to be okay. And I think that's also needed because I've always done this on my own. Yeah. So doing it on your own can be really lonely, especially when I started out. But even a career as a professional dancer is lonely because Oof, yeah. you go to audition on your own, you're applying for stuff on your own, you're going to class on your own, and yeah, you have those moments with people when you're in class or you're on a job, but then that job finishes and then you're, you're on your own and then Resting. life rested or just feeling like oh god what, what's what's going on in my life next like yeah, that was a massive high yeah and now it's like i'm oh. back waitressing roast chickens mm. at the king william in chigwell do you know what i mean and i couldn't do it anymore i um i actually was very lucky though in the dance industry i accumulated this beautiful tribe and they were my like soul sisters and we did everything together we were also in a dance company together right. so when the jobs weren't coming in we also we had training in this company and we were we were just each other's people so i never felt truly lonely when in that moment in those moments but it was those moments of i've just finished a beautiful job and it was the best job ever and it was it was really well paid and now i've got nothing mm. in the pipeline and i hated my life being controlled and dictated in, by other people and their worth, their their vision of my worth. And uh, that was another reason why Dance Box was bought because I wanted to take my life into my hands. That's important to me. Yeah, you say you prayed a lot. Yeah, I prayed a lot, I manifested a lot, I wrote journals a lot, I still do. To this day, vision boards, I did it all. And But also, you know, when I, ha I do have this, deep unshakable knowing i just know that this is what i'm supposed to be doing and i also know that with anything you're going to do in life even if it is the path you are supposed to be on you are going to get derailed and it's going to be hard and i'm grateful for the hard times because it makes me i do have a resilience and the strength about me because of the passion i have for what i do mm. so there's absolutely no way i'm going to let dead classes stop me there was a moment where i was like yeah, okay maybe i should stop but i'm never gonna yeah. not until i die do you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to be said for getting back on the horse you know after you take a fall or maybe in our world back on the bike mm. know, if you do choose to take your hands off the bars but i mean it, funny enough we, we interview a lot of people who are broadly in the creative world and and, and there's there's always this message they have to believe there's a calling Mm. And they have to have huge self-belief and they have to focus. Without it, and I don't think you could win. No, there's too many obstacles. Mm. You can, too many ways of falling off the edge if you don't have that momentum. You know, it's like a spinning top or something. You've mm. got to keep it going, otherwise it just falls over. And so that self-belief, where do you think you get that from? Um, what, do you, what do you draw upon? What image do you have? Is it something to do with childhood? I think um, I come from a, a, a beautiful stock of very strong people. My grandfather, he he went from uh, Mumbai to Israel to England to Israel with not a penny in his pocket and before I knew it he ran 
Well, neither can Gosh. anyone who goes to Burger King, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> they just point. Um, uh, he, do you know what? He actually passed this year, and I, uh, when I didn't really fully understand my chutzpah, the 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 the, the yeah, where it came from, where it came from, until I um I was sitting with him one day before he passed, and it hit me. I was like, "It's you, it's you, and it's and it's the long line he comes from as well." They're very strong people. And my mother is an extremely strong woman. And I was not about to break that chain. I'm going to keep that going. Is that part of the Jewish story? The, the, the fortitude that you need to bear, you know, all sorts of setbacks in life, upsets? Maybe it comes from my ancestors because there's a lot of, as we all know, there was a lot of hardship with our people. And maybe... We do. We have that extra guttural, like, get up and drive. Yeah. Maybe but, so. But also we have that outsider perspective. That's why Jews created Hollywood. You know, they have the drive, but they could also see. In fact, they, they created Hollywood because they weren't allowed to do anything in Broadway, mm -hmm. you know, because of the, the, the discrimination. So they just created their own industry on the other side of, the, uh, of America. But, yeah, do, do you have an outsider perspective, do you think? Meaning you can see things that are missing more easily than... Other people? I, I, you know, because it's me, I wouldn't know. But I do think I have a, a broad vision. My vision and my imagination sometimes can be even kind of scare me a little bit. So I do write everything down and I write it down and I might even look at it a month later and be like, whoa, that was my brain. Because sometimes as well, being on your own, doing everything on your own, you can doubt, self-doubt can creep in, your human side can creep, creep in. But I do think that... Um, I do think, uh, yeah, I do think I see things in a broad way. I have a vision for what Dancebox is going to look like in the next 10 years, maybe 15. And some people don't have that, all right, I can see and I know what I need to do, how to make those steps. I'd, a lot of the time, I'm like, I don't know how to get there. But I know that if I just put one foot in front of the other, I'm going to get there. It's just a no-brainer. I'm going to get there. And I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's really interesting actually you know, the whole creative side to people if you look at if you go back in time the the average english gentleman you know would would travel do the grand tour would be able to write a journal and draw a beautiful um version of you know the the fine buildings of europe and if you couldn't draw they was kind of like what's the matter with you and you know, that that got lost gradually all these other attributes that were part of a civilized existence got lost dancing singing you know, I, I, in some ways, I think I'm a five-year-old. You know, if you look at my art, I'm a five-year-old. If you look at my singing, it's forbidden. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my dancing's pretty good. <laughs> I heard. Bar well, Mitzvah Shabbat. Bar Mitzvah probably created a new term that will now go viral. Let's take it. Let's make it happen, Sarah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so pe people just sort of stop, don't they, in, in, in becoming rounded, you know, they become intellectual. I mean, most people, when they have a problem, go and see a therapist. You have this vision of two people in a comfortable armchair somewhere in northwest London, spending £100 an hour having a chat, which isn't really going anywhere. You know, it takes six months before they get to the right? to the, to the gist of it. Right. And you're bringing it out in three hours or whatever. Half an hour, babe. Half an hour. Two minutes. <laughs> you can't call me babe on that podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, Daniel. No, that's all right. Um, I mean, for, for any of you at home, I'm twice her age. <laughs> and more. <laughs> um, I I always say, always, I, I try to... I, 
I always speak in my class and I try to preach. I don't like to use the word preach, but I try to speak um, to allow the freedom to take place, not just through my moves. But I always say, what happened to that lovely, gorgeous little girl or little boy yeah. that you had no inhibitions and you would run anywhere and hurt yourself here and do this? And But because society happened and people's words happen and they sit on you and they stay on you. So like my friend, one of my clients, she said to me when she was six years old, a boy said to her in a school disco, you can't dance. That was it. Yeah. She never danced in public ever again. She called me at 42 and said, I'm ready. Like, these things take hold of you and they live in your body rent-free. And also, you know, responsibilities take over. So you can't be this freedom person that just runs around doing everything and saying everything they want. You know, I'm still to this day, I'm 35 years old, I am shushed everywhere I go because I speak like I'm a child. I don't want to lose that quality. I'm loud in places you shouldn't be. I will sit down in box bits in front of a CEO when I was working in an office to try and build up some money behind me. Like I I don't have this care for the hierarchy. And I think if all of us lost that and just stuck to being children, wow, imagine the world. Imagine the world. Imagine the world. Yeah, it'd be... Well, there'll be better communication. Right. There'll be more communication, whether it's better well, the, or not, I don't the, know. The, the really powerful people in, in life are the people that are still connected to the child or the chimp or whatever you want to call it. I mean, look at them. Boris. I, yeah, mean, I was thinking about <laughs> Boris just then, but I don't know if, he, I don't know if he's any good. the chimp or the child in yeah, Boris? Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably of the head of the um, you know the UK cycling team or the English cycling team, I think, forget his name. Um, but he had this expression about connect to the chimp. It's like you know, there's this kind of wild, uncontrolled, forceful, energetic, mm. bounding thing that you could unleash if you just, as you say, strip away all that education, discipline, and hurt that's been. I was going to say on you to make you think you can't do things. I think it's also, you know, we don't know what happens behind closed doors with these children and what and trauma gets in that can also shape the way we show up. So I don't know if there's a way that we could make it. There's a safe space for very young children that are going through things at home that they can unleash because I didn't get that until I was 12. And by that point, I think I was already so far gone, to be honest with you. No, I'm joking. But I mean, I didn't have somewhere where I could be free. And if I didn't find dance, I I still wouldn't. And where would all that trap trauma go? Where would all that, where would all that pain be? Like, and a lot of children go through a lot of stuff that they shouldn't do. Yeah. And we need to make sure they have a space for speaking, moving, and being free and being kids again. Yeah, yeah I mean, childhood is far too short these days mm. because of the pressures and, and these little devices, which, you know, a tiny age are already... Come out of the womb with it in their hand. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of shame, embarrassment, social convention, you know, sticking to some plan. I mean, they, they, they can all be applied from a very young age now mm. so that all that potential to develop. Mm. I mean, it doesn't happen. I mean, does, does dance happen at a very young age? Yeah. Is it... Is it, is it uh, I was considered I mean, we have natural late. rhythm. Is that is that where this all starts? Do we, we There's all a video of me rhythm? at one years old, and I kid you not, I'm just wearing a very full nappy, and I am I am wiggling my bum and clapping my hands, and I, I look at it, I'm like, Mum, I've actually got rhythm. I'm one. I'm one. She was like, and my mum's in the background going, go on, girl, be a dancer, be a dancer. And I was like, oh, all right, here I go. Look, mum, no hands. Yeah. And she's already embedded that. 
<laughs> your career already be a dancer. So right. She was like, you've got to be a dancer. Look at that bum. <laughs> I love it. So you've mentioned your mum, so I feel safe going there now. Mm. So how much of this is um, to appeal or impress your mum? Not at all, actually. She raised me to just, she said, I, honestly, whatever you want to be in your lifetime, I applaud it and I will champion you. She always did. If I said I wanted to be in makeup, you go, girl. If I want to be a dancer, you go, girl. If I want to run for president, you go, girl. You don't live in America, but you go, girl. <laughs> um, she did, honestly, she said, and she said, whatever you want to be, who you want to be, she really did applaud that. Yeah. And I felt very safe in that. And she's always been your support because you said you'd call her up if there's no one in class. Mm. She's just going, she's my girl. She's there. my rock. She really is. She's yeah, just a fantastic woman. Did she allow you to fail as well? Absolutely. Every time I failed, every time I'd say, "Mum, I want to quit." She says, if that feels good for your soul right now, let's sit down, let's think about it, let's analyse, and then you go with your, your gut. Because it was important for my mum for me to be my own person and not be the person she wanted her child to be. And I think a lot of parents can get caught up in that. And I don't, I, I, I don't see... I, I find it... Um, quite an easy way to live your life as a parent because you want so much good for your kid you do, must do it like this and you must do it like that but my mum didn't really do that and when I said mum I'm leaving dance college I had a dance scholarship it's anything, everything I ever wanted she went are you unhappy yes mum okay bye you leave then you, I'll support you in whatever you want to do there's other things that have left in my lifetime that she's freaked out about how do, you, how do you square that with these stories you hear of great pianists who hated it for two years, but their parents, often Jewish, would force them to practice every day and blah, blah, blah. Then eventually they become international concert mm. pianists. And when, they, and when they're interviewed, say, you know, I really want to thank my parents for mm. forcing me through that that period when I might have quitted and, and whatever. Do you, do well, you, how do you see that model of, I, of child uh, sort of encouragement? I think there's beauty in both. I think... The, the most ideal thing for me, if I'm ever blessed enough to be a mum, is I just want my child to be happy. That's it. So if my child says to me, mum, I'm desperately unhappy playing the piano, I'm not going to continue to force that, but I do understand my parents do. I get both edges of the sword. And look, you just said, this person at the end of it says, thank you so much, mum and dad, you pushed me to do that. But how much of your soul was depleted in that process that's more important to me. Yeah. I mean, you hear all these versions. I, I bought my wife a diamond ring uh, on one occasion. In, Mazel tov. In the jewellery district. And um, I think I must have gone to a shop that found my requirements sort of right at the top end of what they normally do, you know. Anyway, so we got talking and the, the chap was looking after. It was a, a, a Jewish family. And, and he said he had always wanted to be a pianist. Mm. It had to go into the family business. You know, that was the... That's another shame. Uh, yeah. There's a guy I once knew, he was desperately wanted to be in the music industry, but his father ran a business and he wanted his son to be part of that business and this business was not anywhere in the creative realm whatsoever. And he neglected that side of his life and he's become something that I don't think he truly in his deep, dark soul wanted to be. You use the word soul quite a bit. So yeah, I'm it's... Gonna, you know, obviously it can be lots of things. Are you... 
religious in the sense of I'm spiritual. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I uh, don't. What does see, that mean for you? Well, I don't. I don't see. Well, I talk about souls because I don't like talking about the flesh person because I want to see deeper than that. I don't want to see your external. Uh, vibes. Well, that's a I, <laughs> I want to like. I want to dive deeper because I feel like my work is quite without me realizing it. Even so, is deep work. So I want to see the the soul. So that's why. What I do you think it is that animates us? Then you know that turns that flesh and blood into the personalities and complicated human beings we are. Nature and nurture, I think. All right, I yeah. think uh, you pick things up along the way and you also uh, do become what you've come from, I think. Very good question. I've never been asked that before. I'm going to sit with that. <laughs> well, the nurture-nature argument is, is a great one, isn't it? I've got four kids, or we've got four kids. I have to say that, otherwise I'm going to get criticised when I go home. <laughs> and so you start to have... That's enough to have a view, you know, how a different four could be. If you only have one or two, it's probably... Not a great sample, but you know they're so different. Are they? Yeah, two have left the country to get away from me. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you you can start to see that really you are born different, and they all have very different interests and and so forth. I think though the going back to the parenting point um, is I think pa most sensible parents are on the lookout for early signs, very early signs of what interests their kids because. Ultimately, the, the panic in any parent is, I hope my child finds something to do in life. Mm. And if not something to do, preferably something they really love doing, mm. you know, their calling, their, you know, something that they choose, not mm. that just gets forced on them because they have to do something professional or whatever. And so I think most of them are, but, you know, they, 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 there's the, the risk. And this is what I, I like about what you're saying is there's the choice in life between the safe course and the fulfillment course mm. where you're dealing with stuff that you know is your authentic self and unless you deal with it you're always going to be slightly unhappy mm. or very unhappy and that'll make your relations with other people it'll condition those as well mm. and if we interviewed one person who realized that she was living in the wrong country and in the wrong sex actually um and that that was making her relations with other people very, very difficult and then until she dealt with that she couldn't have quality relationships with other people I hear that. And, uh, and so there are lots of things in the way of these things, aren't there? That's what you're knocking out. Like yeah, that's what I'm trying to knock and out. Yeah. How do you give people the confidence then to follow that fulfillment model rather than the safety model? Um, well, what, what's the way you take them through? Is it because they're all together and they can see everyone's doing the same thing? or? I think there's an... Um, an uh, can't really use... I can't really put it into words, the energy that is in that room and the power that comes over these human beings. And I think in that moment of power, you can, you know when they say your life flashes before your eyes? In that moment of power, you're literally, the life that you're leading flashes before your eyes and you realize this doesn't feel good, this doesn't feel good. And the more you do things like dance box, the more you recognize what needs to change and the more you get the courage to do so. I've had many clients that um, do, do nine to five jobs and feel silly unhappy and feel like they're not fulfilled and there's such a lack of contentment and a lot of them have left the nine to five and they said do you know what i always wanted to be a seamstress i'm gonna start do you know what i always wanted to be a physiotherapist i'm gonna try and go into that and i know that there's money that comes into it and i know that we get into a space where safety in like financial safety and everything like that 
for me, I want to get to the, and I say things like this in my class, so it's not the movements that just penetrate, it's also my words. I want to get to the end of my life and look back and be able to say that that was a bloody good ride. I don't want to look back and say I worked every day to make sure I could survive to then die. I know that's quite a big thing to say, but that is how I feel. And I feel like, you know, there's so many times where I'm like, I can't actually pay for this. I can't do that. I can't do that. But in my insides are happy. Might be scared sometimes financially, but I I don't believe that we're given this this trip many times. I believe we, we might come in to the world a few times, the same soul. But I, I feel like we get one trip around this merry-go-round. And if you're going to do that, do it and find something that makes you happy. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting, you know, how few people get trapped by their economic circumstances. I took a big risk in 2003 now, which I'm so pleased I did because it freed me in every way, but for a year it was hell. Mm. And I took all of the kids out of private school and put them in a very good state school, actually, um, a haberdasher school. Not exactly the same one as up in North London, but it's uh, nevertheless part of the haberdasher company. And I, you know, I said, "Look, guys, I'm sorry." I'm, you know, and then I told them that I got my my first um, business collapsed, and I, I sent them all a note saying, "Sorry, business has collapsed. I'm going to have to start a new one." Right. <laughs> but that's the way you get to in life, you know. Yeah. It's that, taking risks. Taking risks, but believing that it'll come right. You know, you, I, I'm, I'm envisaging envisaging you in this room with no customers, no clients. Dancing on your own, but believing... Crying as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to ask about that. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, um, build it and they'll come. There is a sort of version yes, of that. Yes, absolutely. And, um, and and having that confidence. I, just I mean, so, so the word box after dance, what's that about? Because it's trying to make it sound like a very regular, unthreatening thing, isn't it? It's space. It's like a box, you know. It's, it's a box. It's, it's funny it's, because... It's not a, not a gallery or a, you know, no. a studio or... No. You could have called it studio, but then you get back into all the bad old stuff, don't you? Yeah, it was. It's basically, it's a it's a box that you dance in, and this box is a safety box where you can purge. You can, you can be exactly who you want to be within that beautiful space, that little box, and however you want to package it, that's your little box. And uh, it's funny because I'm teaching them how to step out of their box and break their chains and knock off all the wood around them but in my little safety box I've created for them basically yeah dance how, much, box. how much difference is it when they're together physically and virtually mm -hmm. you know comfort I think you say of their own how much difference does that make to the experience do you think well I did um, real life classes for seven years and I've only actually been online for two the difference of the energy within a real life class is I mean it's it's not comparable to when you're doing it online, but the community aspect online has blown me away. So I would still teach exactly the same as I do in the studio, but they're obviously not around this energy and like energy attracts energy and the power and it builds and builds and builds. Mm -hmm. But it, it's very good for people all over the world, whoever wants to take it and they're com they're, they've, they have the ability to communicate with each other through the classes. So they become friends and they're like, we are in this tribe together. And now they, there's people from all over the UK. They get 
trains to go and see each other, the little powerhouse crew. They all like come to my real life classes if they can get there. And actually the community aspect has been exactly the same. My energy is exactly the same and their power is exactly the same. It's just not next to each other. Yeah. So it's been beautiful. So yeah, I think you said earlier um, that, that part of this is giving people role models or something they can relate to, mm -hmm. to know that, yes, this is for me and not just these stick thin or mm -hmm. some sort of fantasy ballerina model shapes or whatever. And if you're not that, don't bother. Mm. So that is that part of it as well? That they, 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 they see, you know, mum, new mums or whatever, you know, that's, yeah, that's me. I mean, I, I'm part of this. It's about just accepting you no matter what you are and who you are and your ability is, by the way. Like, you could never have danced before in your entire life. It's not about the dance, really. I think, I know that this is my whole company, is a dance-based company, but it's about giving everyone a space to be free and unleash and explore their bodies. Sure. And that's what it's all about. You know, well, tell me about the music that you choose, because I, you know you're sitting there at the wedding. Just imagine whose wedding we at? I don't know. You know, a wedding. Okay. No, a nice Jewish wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone says, "Oh, that's not. That's not for me. I'm not dancing to that." Or they're on the dance floor, and something comes up, and they they retreat. What's what's all that about then? I mean, and how do you use music? Oh my god! If at all. If at all. I mean, music is the the baseline of of the healing that the power and the the beats i mean uh, when people retreat it's more because the song's boring i've tend to see at weddings and if any of my friends retreat when it's a banger i'll be pulling them up and they'll be smiling and laughing and spinning around the floor anyway but in terms of the music that i use i tend to uh, tap into something that's going to speak to them i don't actually just give them a routine just for routine's sake so i find very good beats beyonce's lizzo's uh, sam smith Gaga, whoever, but I want to do moves to that music that taps into something rather than just doing five, six, seven, eight to the music. And I always ask them to dance with the intention they're feeling from the song. So if the song makes them sad, be sad and chuck it all out. If the song makes them feel so joyful, smile throughout it. If it makes you feel anxious, lean into that. Music mm. is the baseline of everything that I do in personal life as well as my career it's literally i do have a soundtrack for everything over the years of dance box because it's grown and grown dance box isn't just like a program that you can go into and sign up it's you you are in every class you're mm -hmm. you've not employed people i have it's never worked out and I've tried, I've tried a few times to add teachers in. My online platform will have other teachers, but it will always have me. The other teachers will be different genres to me. So, for example, it'll be like a hills teacher, mm. and it'll be, or there'll be like a fitness girl or whatever uh, that designated like to just fitness. Um, but every time I've done studio classes and I've employed other teachers. They get wind that it's not me and the class doesn't fill up. And maybe there's a part of me that's like, I didn't try long enough and see if it would take off. But it was it was hard because I was obviously paying the teacher, paying the studio and no one was turning up for a few months and I couldn't afford to do it. 
quite flattering as well. It's, a ve- <clears throat> it's very flattering. I, I took a, a time out from running my international alliance, which I created, gave it to my PA for one week, and it was a disaster. Really? <laughs> really? Get back. But you, sorry, you were about to say, it is quite flattering. It uh, is flattering. Um, it, I wish that I could... Um, give it to other people because it would mean that I can do a lot more with the company because where I'm the only body that does the teaching, the admin, the promoting, the moving, the touring, wherever I go, it's it's difficult. But I'm not complaining whatsoever. I just wish that I had at least 10 of me. <laughs> so, you know, right at the beginning, I, I gave you this quote, which you seem to like. You know, if it's mm. too strong for the words... Um, Sing, sing, and if it's too strong for the for the song, dance. Mm. So now we've got the three elements here, which I'm finding quite interesting because you you talk magnificently. Oh, well, thank you. You are absolutely amazing. Oh, you know. thank you so much. Um, <laughs> he doesn't you know, say uh, that lightly. No, 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 no. Never no, no. been told that before. Oh well. Hey, got you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm wondering to what extent you're combining the you know the choice of music. And the, obviously the dance moves, which is totally your world, and and your kind of life coach, you mm. know, um, encouragement bit. Where, yeah. where, where does that form part of what you're actually doing in 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 the moment? Yeah, are you I, talking to people as well? Uh, are you are you saying things? Or is I that... start every class by speaking life onto them, and I speak about all of the things that I've basically spoke about with you today, in a nutshell, so that they know that they're safe. And also, I believe really strongly that if you're going to be led by someone, you should know who you're being led by. So that person should be vulnerable with you. So I'm vulnerable with them. I speak about my little journey, and and then I pour love and light onto them through my words. And whilst we're dancing, those words will come up. I have never ever in the history of dance box ever planned a class i've only ever planned the routine whatever comes is what comes with the energy of the people so if i can see that they are needing to be uplifted and it's quite dark in that room and the energy is low i'll go with what they are doing and it will always i i i don't think i can ever plan ever ever i've done four hour event before i went on stage and spoke for an hour and a half i didn't plan a single word i just wanted to look in their eyes and see what came same as today huh yeah yeah that's what i was like yeah when you see what's going on in the room people say oh well what what do you ask what's this it's like it's a conversation you don't know where it's gonna go you see people you might say something and you see a word like resonates with them you go oh okay well what's mm. happened to that mm. but you're given so much to people how do you find time for you who gives to you what's your safe space where you can shut down or or lean on replenish someone? yeah it's uh, the biggest question i get asked this all the time and actually before we went into lockdown i never ever knew how to do that so i would leave classes and i would feel depleted in my energy but not because i didn't have a great time because i had the best time and i feel so alive and amazing but more so because um, I didn't know how to protect my energies. I would just give it out and not realizing that I wasn't putting it back in. So I used to have a lot of uh, burnouts before. Then when we went into lockdown, I, you know, you start to reassess everything. You're starting to think about everything. And I went on this whole journey of learning how to protect myself, protect my energies, to be able to give as much as I do and never let that deplete 
but never let myself deplete. So what I do now is I have like a grounding exercise that, that I do every day. I have like a little centering exercise that I do and a protection exercise. And I also make sure no matter what, with every single day that I teach, I make sure I give myself an hour out of that day where I am horizontal, eyes are closed, I meditate or I'm bathing or I'm doing anything that fills my soul up if I need to read or I'm not like constantly chasing emails, I'm constantly doing this because I will burn out. I'm that kind of character. Mm. I will just go, go like Sonic the Hedgehog until I, yeah. yeah. And I can't do that anymore because I need, you know, I need to be around forever, do you know what I mean? <laughs> how, how do you actually feel after a, a performance, if I can put it that way, after a class, let's say? Do you feel it's drained not, or it's ecstatic? Not, it, for the first two hours after, it's not, I can't put into words how I feel. It's the most euphoric, incredible feeling I've, I will ever feel. And then about, about two hours after that, I crash. I can't speak yeah. um, and I can't move. And that comes back maybe two days later. It used to be a week later, but two days later now, so, you know, it's getting better. But that's how, how much of yourself you're putting into it then. I, mean, I can't not. You know, people say, my mum always goes, Alana, go a little bit slower. Or like, just don't put so much in. I'm like, I can't, mum. I can't not. Yeah. Yeah. I can't not. My best friend will be in class. She'll be like, just tame it down a bit. Yeah. I'm like, I cannot. Mm. This is me at my natural ha like, habitat. You can't tell me yeah. to. Yeah. One of the I questions that, that really floored me, which I think my brother, my older brother David, always, is always finding ways to sort of, he has a very different approach to life. Mm. I mean, when, when I turned 50, he gave me three days with a life coach down on a farm, living on a... Little retreat. Yeah. Love living, him. Li living on a bit of an old uh, canal boat somewhere on a pond. You know, it's perfect, really. It's just what you want. The terrible food. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I guess, um, you know, if, you, if you're putting that much of yourself into, into your work, and the question that was asked of me is, what percentage of me is in my work mm -hmm. that was when i was still in employment and actually if you ask people that question you get an incredible range of percentages probably because they think they virtue signal and they have to say 80 percent you know if anyone mm. is listening but most people actually put about 20 percent, i think of themselves not their time obviously in terms of time it's a third or whatever mm. but you know in terms of themselves mm. the thing you're talking about that inner self they're putting a tiny part because it's not really them but you're putting what percentage of yourself into that work I don't quite want to say it, but my whole body wants to say 100%. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhere between 80 and 100. Yeah. <laughs> I, what, you're, what you're saying to me. There's not is much that I hold back. And I think before, before I, I did used to be very much like, um, I didn't really want them to know about my personal life. I didn't want them to know about my struggles. I, I wanted them to see me as this, like, perfect teacher that came in and had it all worked out in her personal life. And actually, as time went on, well, I'm going back years now, um, something dramatic happened at the end of 2019 where I had a divorce and everyone had to know there was something going on. So then I was like, suck this, man. Like, why am I trying to be something and be like this perfect human being when that doesn't even freaking exist? Yeah. So then I started pouring my whole self out there. And again, the vulnerability and also my story because it makes, it makes people be free themselves, you know? And, and I know I see a difference in the way my clients were when I was this perfect woman, and I see a difference in the way they are now when they know exactly who they're dealing with. And it's 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 beautiful. Yeah. Why, why do most people have a problem with exposing their vulnerabilities, do you think? What, what's the... Because I think everyone wants to put up this perfect picture, and it's absolute, sorry, but French, I've got to say it, bullshit, it's bullshit. You yeah. should not be doing that. It's going to eat you up alive mm. and also who wants to 
who wants to turn up as their inauthentic self? That's that's not going to feel good. Mm. That d- didn't feel good. Because I used to go home mm. after being like, live your best life, you're a bloody queen. And I'd go home, my shoulders would slump forward, and I'd feel sad, and I'd feel lonely, and I'd feel neglected, and I didn't speak up in my marriage often. And I was a fraud, and I hated that feeling. And now I can walk freely not being a fraud, and you know everything about me, and I'm good with that. How long did it real did it take for you to realize that you weren't you weren't you you weren't when when my ma- when I realized my marriage was done I was like wow because I think you 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 actually start believing your lie so I believed everything was cute because I was telling myself and everyone around me that everything was cute and look at my life and doesn't it look cute and perfect. I don't ever want to do that ever again. It doesn't feel good at all. Do you think it's a bigger risk breaking up a marriage than sticking with it in terms of the, what we're talking about generally on this podcast, you know, people taking risks and changing their lives? Mm, it's been the biggest journey I've ever taken to heal that that separation and to rewire. Um, and to, I, I'm not the same person that I was, but... I think it's much more of a bigger risk than to stay somewhere where you're unhappy for the rest of your life and then not actually live the person, live out the person you were supposed to be because you might be quite, you might be hushed, you might be tamed in that marriage, you might be, you might build up this whole new narrative of some, your soul doesn't want to be and then you are depleted. So that's a more of a risk to me. I'd rather be alone and scared and fearful and authentic and build than stay somewhere that my body didn't fit. My body didn't fit. I contorted my body to fit in that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting, you know, very few people understand that doing nothing is a risk mm-hmm. also. They mm-hmm. think somehow if you just stick with it, that's not a risk, but of course it is. I mean, uh, somebody wants to put it to me this way, that you know, in, in life, obviously, you want to make the right decision, but the next best thing is the wrong decision. The, the worst is no decision. Amen. You know, and you learn from the, the, the wrong decision. Amen. Yeah. D- doing nothing, that, you know, that, that's so core. You're, you're talking about what's integral, core to everything you're about. That's what we're really trying to talk about in this podcast. Shaking up my entire world and shaking up what everyone around me thought I had was the most bizarre, unsettling and painful thing I have ever gone through. And I've never really fully expressed, I had the opportunity to fully express this to my friends, but it's been a journey. And I feel like I'm actually just starting to build up the blocks again to this Elana that was always supposed to be here. So she's putting in the blocks and one by one she's taking her time with it. But once I'm fully back, my feet are on the floor, you better freaking watch out, honey. (laughs) (laughs) She really did say freaking that time. We didn't edit (laughs) it. So this has been a a journey that's just getting faster and faster. So to say the, the, the ride is exciting and you've got people following you on that journey so today you're here with Rachel do you want to tell us who Rachel is my to you and how Rachel. you came together I, mean, yeah. I, take my eyes off her. I know she's so <laughs> beautiful isn't she 
My beautiful Rachel Nevin, she is my publicist. I have always done everything on my own and I I think what's really important as a business owner is for you to say, I've reached my ceiling, I can't do any more. So I went on, um, we're a member of the same uh, members club. I went onto the app and I said, I'm looking for a PR I'm looking for a company, I'm looking for an individual person. She was the first person to reach out um, and we sat down together and she just blew me away with her energy. You know when you sit with someone you're like, you are me. She sat me with, uh, she wowed me with her energy, with her words, with her, just, I'm all about energy. I sat with a lot of other people, interviewed them and I felt nothing. So Rachel has come on board and is essentially my little teammate now who bigs me up and pushes me and tells me when I need to buck up my ideas and I feel very blessed to have found her. Look, that's great. I mean, I think, you know, you talk so much about energy and I, I, I learned at some point that, you know, when you talk to somebody and you think about it afterwards, you think, was I pumped up? or deflated mm. after that conversation. You know, were they a radiator or an extractor of mm. energy? Um, and that's just a really simple question to ask. And it's, it, you know, you obviously go with your instincts on that, which I Very totally understand. Very much so. Now look, let's talk a little bit about the future. What, what sort of horizon do you have? Is it next week, <laughs> five years? Are you on the 10 year plan, like the Communist Party of China? Or what, what's the, uh, as much as you want to say about that? Do you, do you have I a view? I get really excited. But there's certain things I can't speak about. Of course, we understand um, that. But there is some very but big unfortunately, changes. We have somebody outside who can help persuade you. If, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Fritz, there, uh, Fritz uh, you can come in there. <laughs> there is. Um, uh, some very big changes on the horizon, right. um, but I'm not going to talk about what that looks okay. like. No but problem. in the immediate time, mm-hmm. um, there will be a Dancebox app that's going to be launched out into the world where you can take live classes with me and you can take them on demand. It won't just be me, you'll have other beautiful teachers teaching you and you'll have a community hub. You'll be your little home in your phone where you can be and have Dancebox wherever whenever you want and I'm very excited for that. Very how, excited. how international is Dancebox already? You know, the thing is that I run a global alliance of mergers and acquisitions guy, so I'm always international. Mm, that's, that's my first instinct that. is take it international. Yeah, I mean America. No, so there's massive things on the horizon. Mm-hmm. But watch out for the app first. Watch out for the app first. Got the online classes that people can sign up to. Right now they have a current platform, which is a private uh, page on Instagram. And then I run pop-up classes every month. I am going to take them to a different space that I have been at the minute. And I am going to be doing a couple of large events. And for anyone out there listening and wants to take me on tour, Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, I'm yours. Holla. (laughs) I'm available. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's that sounds right now. Did you fancy life in a 1970 VW camper van? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. We've got lots of booze and 600 CDs. Done. <laughs> Sold. You can dance your way through the collection. <laughs> Sold. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you and Rachel mm. for coming today. Yeah. And connecting. And Thank you I mean, for having it's, it's me. It's just so amazing to speak to people who are bringing so much joy and improvement to people's lives. You know, mm. I, Thank I, you I so, so much. I admire what you're doing, really. Thank you. Yeah. And just have that nice, open, honest conversation and inspire and 
invigorate other people. Yes, yeah. please God, and do it forever. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, listeners. Till next time. Until next time. Bye for now. Don't miss future episodes of Look, Mum, No Hands. Share and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star review on Apple. If you are inspired to take that leap and join us on the show and share your experiences or have a friend who might, message us on Instagram at Look Mum No Hands Podcast. This has been a Talks With My Neighbour Productions, produced and hosted by Sarah Sharman and Daniel Confino. Music by George Twydell, artwork by Jane Confino, and title voiceover by Joshua Sharman. <laughs>